This is part two of a conversation I had with Karin about parenting through the ages. We talk about breasts, we talk about taboos, misrepresentation, and how what is normal and natural has so often been wrongly categorized as dirty or unworthy of our attention. In a world balancing precariously on the precipice of extremism, it is to women folk we should turn for leadership, for guidance and for insight. To not do so is to play into the hands of fascists. That journey led to disastrously inhumane consequences a hundred years ago. We must not repeat those mistakes again. Listening to Karin talk about these topics and more besides was insightful and entertaining. Thank you, Karin, for your time, and I look forward to our next chat. To and a mic clocking out. Enjoy. Your blog and it's called Familienleben einst und heute, which you're going to translate that to <laughs> family life okay. once and today, once and how do you uh, once and something like that. Mm. Okay, <laughs> yeah, and there again, you kind of introduce the the, the history to the, the topic of family life, bringing together the book and the blog in general. Why is it important, do you feel, for people to become kind of aware of this development? Um, because that's the only way to get rid of it again. Um, so if we, if we want to get rid of sleep training and feeding on a schedule and um, even, even moms who want to breastfeed and can't breastfeed because they don't know how to, because breastfeeding is actually a socioculturally learned skill and not doesn't doesn't just happen. If we want to go back to that and enable parents to parent the way they want, they need to know why things are the way they are right now. And um, that's just, yeah the history of the last 200, 300 years of parenting where everything basically has gone sideways. <laughs> mm-hmm. And breastfeeding in itself, it's, I don't know why, sometimes it comes up as a hot topic and then it goes away mm. and then after a few years again, it comes back and so on. And um, yeah, I, I think most people have seen female breasts at one point or other <laughs> in their lives. Um, why is it so strange for some people to see a woman breastfeed in public because breasts are sexualized over sexualized and they don't yeah so i think that's that's really the main reason or the only reason because um we don't see breastfeeding anymore i breastfed my children everywhere like literally i i stood at the till and was handling the items <laughs> i bought with one hand and the baby with the other one literally Okay. So, um, yeah, and most of the time people don't realize that you're breastfeeding. You, they just see, okay, baby's probably sleeping or whatever. Mm. Um, yeah, I made a point of 
being seen. <laughs> okay. All right. But although even you 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 couldn't see skin, but yeah, sure. I okay. think breastfeeding needs to be seen more. Is that because you're German, and so therefore you felt or you feel it's easier to do? Um, do you feel that? That was back in Germany, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> For me, in Germany, seeing a woman breastfeed or feeding her child with her breast is not at all odd. But is that the case still in the UK? Do you feel as in because I I do remember this in, while I was there in the UK, this this conversation happening, and it's like, yeah, no, I don't want to see a woman feed her or breastfeed her child in a cafe while I'm eating. Thank you very much. And you think, okay, why the child's got to eat too, right? Yeah. Um, it's actually, um, I don't know if this is just Scotland, but no, I think it's the whole of the UK, but you are legally allowed to breastfeed everywhere. So uh, nobody can forbid that. I mean, you may have Hausrecht if you're in a cafe, <laughs> so, but um, generally, no, nobody can forbid you from breastfeeding. And I think that's a good thing. I'm, I'm not sure if that's the case in Germany, actually, um, if it's legally protected. But uh, yeah, um, I was always at the time when I was really involved with breastfeeding support and uh, uh, with the um, uh, nationwide charity uh, Arbeitsgemeinschaft Freie Stillgruppen, I was kind of hoping that someone would say something because I had the connections I would have made. it. <laughs> I would have, I don't know, organized a sit-in or something like that. But no, nobody ever noticed, nobody ever cared. <laughs> I think most of the time breastfeeding is just it happens and nobody really realizes it mm, okay all right so do you get that feeling as well in the uk that it's oh, this is a thing in the past <clears throat> nobody really cares anymore uh, i don't know i mean i i did have a breastfeeding group here as well um but um we didn't that that's that's also kind of funny the breastfeeding support here in england is kind of different from what it is in in germany so um the mums want different things the most common thing in Germany was um, that mum was um, handed the bottle in hospital and wanted to get rid of it. And the most common thing here is mum wanted to go back to work and want to introduce the bottle. So <laughs> it's really weird. Um, okay, but yeah, Sorry, yes? I was just going to say that here, the, um, the, the nurses or the midwives told us in, in Germany, um, yeah, don't use the bottle too early because it's bad for the child's teeth. Is is that also, as is, is from your awareness, is that, is that a relevant fact which is considered in the UK? I'm not sure. I think, it, was it really the teeth? That's interesting because usually they say it's um, nipple confusion that they are worried about. Okay. So that the child will prefer one over the other and then not go into the breast anymore when you introduce the bottle too soon because um, breastfeeding should be established before you introduce the bottle mm -hmm. for that reason uh, and it's a learning curve so for the baby and for mom <clears throat> okay all right um, I mean obviously teething kind of comes in to effect after a year anyway um, yeah. but I mean some children are breastfed a lot longer than that aren't they yeah um definitely uh, so um there's an anthropologist called Catherine detweiler and she has uh, done some research or some 
it's more of a thought process of uh, she's been comparing great apes and um, their development and how long they breastfed and then made conclusions about how long humans would breastfeed if we weren't living in a society. Um, she compared things like um, when was the weight gain tripled or when uh, did the molars come in or when do they uh, start puberty and things like that. And she deducted from that that uh, normal duration of breastfeeding for a human would probably be somewhere between two and a half and seven years. Okay, wow. So as far yeah. as seven? Yes. Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah, that, that I, I'm not familiar with anybody breastfeeding for that long at all, but... Uh... Yeah, yeah okay. because I was involved in a nationwide breastfeeding <laughs> organization, uh, I do actually know people who have breastfed that long, yes. Wow. Okay. From your awareness, did that influence the relationship between mother and child or between parents, for example, um, any more significantly than those at the lower scale who gave up breastfeeding earlier? I don't think it makes a difference in relation to, um, in, to for the relationship between parents and children. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Um, I I know for a fact that um, women grieve over not being able to best breastfeed. So when we were doing like um, stands on a, on a on a fair, uh, promoting our breastfeeding counselling, um, usually not pregnant uh, parents would come, but um, the grandmothers would come and they would tell us their story because that sticks with you. That's the kind of thing that really sticks with you. And um, women were being failed left and right in in breastfeeding support because just, you know, GPs just told them and pediatricians just told them, I'll just give the bottle at the first sign of, of complications. Or we even had times in the 80s where they thought, uh, oh, breast milk is has too many, what's Schadstoffe? Schadstoffe. Yeah, I suppose damaging fluids or uh, things, things that can poison chemicals, the child? Okay, chemicals, yeah. basically, in, in it from, from, uh, from the environment that um, would be detrimentally health, health-wise and um, formula would be much more healthy, uh, completely leaving uh, out of the equation that uh, cows don't live in a vacuum. <laughs> they are also exposed to chemicals, like just like us. But um, yeah, breastfeeding was really out for a while and um, it slowly came back in the 90s, basically. And um, the thing is, moms want to breastfeed and I think they should be supported to breastfeed. And if you don't want to breastfeed, that's fine too. But it should be a conscious decision and it should be your decision and not someone else's. And and historically, has that always been a concern? So in the 80s, you said obviously breastfeeding went out. So that would suggest that before then it was it was fine, considered the way to go. Well, they didn't really have anything else, did they? <laughs> I mean, they okay. they did. So um, that's getting complicated now because this is this is regionally different, very different within Germany as well. So, um, like in Bavaria, they stopped breastfeeding really, really early on. Like in the um, late 1800s, breastfeeding was basically not happening, and you can see that from the mortality rates in the, of the babies. So. Um, in, whereas in the north of Germany, they would be breastfeeding like well into the second year, 
Um, and we have breastfeeding rates in um, 1850s, 1880s uh, of like 12, no, not breastfeeding rates, sorry, mortality rates of 12.5% in the north of Germany and 50% in the south. Wow. Because they so were significant. Yes, mm. definitely. Absolutely. Because they weren't breastfeeding. Well, well, if there's ever an argument for breastfeeding, you just made it. <laughs> yeah, well, our formula is much, much better today, thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but still, uh, that kind of suggests that there are specific nutrients within, inherent within breast milk, which well, perhaps you can't replicate. There's one thing that we'll never be able, we will never be able to have in um, formula, and that's um, live antibodies. You have live antibodies in breast milk and you can't put that in a, in a powder. You know, one of the things that I, I, I keep coming back to when people ask me, why do you do your podcast, Zach? Um, it's that I always learn new things. Um, <laughs> and that's that's particularly true um, here as well. Um, things that I would perhaps think that I should have a slightly better awareness of, having had two children, of course, um, even though I never participated in the breastfeeding myself, of course. Um, <laughs> Do you, just one more question um, on that. Do you do you think that nowadays men are a bit better educated as to the demands on the women's body of the entire process of pregnancy and then thereafter breastfeeding? Um, I'm referring to the activities that men cannot do themselves, uh, that they cannot directly assist in themselves. Do you think that men are, are just better educated and in a better position to provide assistance when needed? That's too general. I can't answer that like that because okay. um, th there have been times, you know, we we always think that men weren't involved in child raising and, and, and in, in, in birth and stuff like that, but they were. Um, so even in the 1800s, uh, women would give birth sitting on their husband's laps. It's wow. uh, the the idea that that you know um, dads weren't present at birth really just came about when women started to go into hospital to give birth, and before that it was very much a family affair. So. Um, in the movies, the yeah. women are always separated oh, and the men are outside me. having yeah, a beer. Yeah, don't get me started with the movies. <laughs> oh, my God. <sighs> yeah, birth representation in movies. Oh, <laughs> it's just not how it works. Okay, so um, the, so so basically, movies have uh, really cultivated this completely erroneous depiction of yeah, labor. Uh, that and yeah and basically doctors when we moved birth into hospitals we made it go out of sight and out of mind for everyone and uh, no and it's a taboo to, made it a taboo to talk about and uh, yeah that's I think that was really detrimental for for women and for children and for the family as a whole because um yeah, also men weren't really aware what, what their wives were going through because they didn't see it anymore. Mm. And what about this thing about fainting? So why did it come up? Because people, are, <laughs> I, I, I was there um, and absolutely fainting was the last thing on my mind. Um, <laughs> do you know when this became a thing? Why is it? That did it become a thing? I mean, I think it's a trope. I think it does happen occasionally. But is it a thing as such? I, I don't think so. <laughs> 
They're the men planned fainting. Come on, you've got to do it after three and a half minutes. Um, <laughs> but it's, yeah, for some reason, I, I don't know, maybe it was sort of propagated in, in as you say, like movies um, or some kind of a TV series or whatever. But um, yeah, I, I've been asked, did you faint? Um, okay. And, uh, yeah, but by a man, of course. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this seemed to be a, yeah, a thing. Okay. Yeah, maybe. because... <laughs> We should talk about things like that more, you know, you sh we mm. should normalize giving birth. We should normalize talking to everyone about birth, not keeping it a secret amongst women. And <laughs> um, it's if 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 birth for you is something that's, I don't know, just associated with pain and um, tearing or horrible things that can go wrong, um, of course, you might faint. In <laughs> And of course, you might find it really taxing to watch that. And maybe you feel a bit helpless as well when when your wife or your partner is giving birth and you can't do anything about it. But yeah, I think a lot of preparation would help there, actually. And I mean, we do have courses for for parents, not just uh, like Geburtsvorbereitungskurse. Your birth preparation or yeah. birth preparation courses for parents, not only for women. I think that's really important that um, also that um, the couple talks about birth beforehand and what everyone wants. And um, so basically, the dad can be, um, you know, spokesperson for his partner mm. when she's in pain and she, he knows what she wants so he can fight the fights for her. Mm. Yeah, I, think, I mean, I think, we're talking very heteronormative right now. It's <laughs> of course, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah. I mean, I think that the, they called them antenatal classes, um, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. But uh, again, you're right. I think you touch on th this point. For me, it's a, it's a novel thing to hear. Um, for you, obviously, you're, you're more than used to it, it being one of your specialty areas. But I mean, why is it that this would be such a taboo subject? Why is it that? Uh, we can't sit down with you know, genders and have this conversation about birth, the process of birth, um, it, it, as a completely normal subject. Um, what's surely everybody has gone through it at some point, um, having been born uh, to a certain degree. Why can't we talk about it? I think it's mainly to do with our Christian society, actually, um, because you know the sin of birth, the sin, all, all these bodily things that we just don't talk about. I mean, when I think back to my grandmother and she, she told me how, how she once got visited from her priest, I think, while she was breastfeeding and her milk was squirting out and she was so embarrassed and her, her and the priest said, no, it's fine. I, it's, it's just how it's supposed to be. And, uh, but, you know, there's just so much taboo about around anything any bodily function really and uh, it's just yeah i don't know it's it shouldn't be like that we should talk about things more mm. uh, i think a lot of pain would go away if we if we knew what was actually normal and that everyone is experiences that or a lot of people like we have taboos around miscarriage nobody talks about miscarriage and then you have one and you find out uh, a lot of people in my life have had one because every fourth uh, pregnancy does end in miscarriage and that's a lot it's one of those um, hidden figures which yeah. uh, people aren't really 
yeah, aware of, but it's not a secret either. Um, yeah. But obviously, when somebody is pregnant, then that's kind of the last thing that people look at um, is the um, yeah, the rate at which miscarriages occur. Karen, we really have gone around the houses there with our uh, <laughs> conversations there, um, but thoroughly entertaining. And what's also cool is that it's kind of really set uh, set us up for sort of future topics where we're probably going to dive straight into the politics and then come back out and talk about gender <laughs> equality and, and, and be really um, you know, critical of some of the tropes um, and some of the bullshit that society has thrust upon us, um, if indeed that's OK for you. Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, brilliant. Okay. Um, then all that remains for me to say is thank you very much for your time. Um, and Thanks for having me. A pleasure. Absolutely. Two and a mic.